Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Excited to jump in and talk some week two uh, props with you. But before we get started, um, the way that I'll start a lot of these uh, podcasts is looking back at the previous week, what we learned from the last week, and maybe uh, either some bets that hit for us that we want to continue you know, taking the same angle moving forward, or maybe some uh, opinions that we need to adjust based on what happened last week. And you know, I, I think that's especially important to do early in the season. Although I will say that week two is probably my least favorite week of the season from a betting perspective, because, you know, I mean, some people might say that week one is hard because there's just still so much that's unknown, but you know, in week one, there is the possibility that you, you know, hit on something that you anticipated something in your off season research that ended up coming to fruition for you in week one. Maybe you were ahead of the ball on that. Um, in week two, you might lose that advantage. The books might adjust if you were correct in your assumptions. Um, but then also, how do, if you're wrong on something in week one, how do you handle that? I think that that's what makes week two really hard for me is because how do we now balance what we saw on the field in week one versus the off-season research that we did and what we were expected to, ha- to see happen? Do we trust week one more? Do we trust our research still and sort of say that, you know, anything can happen in one week? That's always a tricky balance to try to strike. So I think for that reason, week two is my least favorite. So certainly don't fault anyone if they're a little bit more conservative uh, with the bets that you place in this week. But one of the bets that I gave out last week that I wanted to sort of take, just take a moment and dive into was the Jonathan Taylor under. This was probably my worst, uh, easily my worst bet of the week. Might be one of my worst of the season. I took the under on 19 and a half carries and he ended up with 31. Now there's a couple different ways to look at this. On one hand, you could argue that this is probably a fluke. That game against the Texans was much closer than we expected, obviously ending in a tie. They had a full uh, extra quarter played since they played the entire overtime quarter. So that obviously padded his stats a little bit. Uh, two things that we never would have expected. We didn't think it was a game that was going to come down to the wire. And obviously you're never expecting a full overtime to be tacked on. Um, That's just something you can't account for. So you could argue that that was a fluke. All the reasons that we expected the Colts to sort of limit Taylor's touches earlier in the year, probably still legit. However, another way of looking at this is go back to the first quarter. They came out of the gate and gave Taylor 11 carries in the first quarter. So, there's a good chance we were going to lose this bet anyway, even if the game script went as expected. Now, again, another strike on the other side of things is despite how fast he came out of the game with 11 carries in the first quarter, it was somewhat surprising that they slowed down his usage and he didn't then get to, he didn't hit the over until just under 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So again, like I can make an argument on both sides of this. And so this is why I think week two is so hard. I think the way I'm going to approach Taylor right now is I'm just going to, I'm going to back off for a week or two and kind of see what happens. Do they really want to lean on him heavily? Do they want to get him 20 plus carries a week? I was definitely not expecting that, but based on how they came out in the first quarter, giving 11 touches, it's not a smart strategy. I don't think you want to work your run, your running back into the ground like that. Uh, but I don't know, maybe the Colts are going to do that. So I'm just sort of, sort of going to stay away from Taylor for the next couple of weeks, but still keep my preseason expectations in the back of my mind. And maybe if they dial back his usage in week two and week three, 
depending on where the line is, maybe I jump back in and sort of like trust my preseason expectation again in week four, depending on where the line, depending on how the line has adjusted at that point in time. All right, now let's move on to the player props that I like this week. Um, again, th- normally we'll talk about some player props, some totals, some spreads. This week I'm actually going all player props. It was really all props that stood out to me on this week's slate. Let's start off with taking the over on Derek Carr's passing yards against the Cardinals. Now, I haven't seen a line posted on this one yet. Last week, um, the over-under was 271.5. I would expect it to stay in that range. Obviously, last week against the Chargers was expected to be a relatively high-scoring game, probably expecting similar scoring in this one as well. So I would I would assume that line stays right around uh, right, right around that same area, 271. Maybe it jumps up a little bit, 275-ish. I'd still like the over. Um, my logic here really follows a trend that I identified last year and successfully bet a few times on the over. Um, you may remember from last year talking about how Carr really excels against the blitz. Um, and you know, with the addition of Devontae Adams, there's some reason to think maybe he's even a little bit better this year. Just to throw out a few numbers, last year, Derek Carr against the blitz, he averaged 8.8 yards per attempt and then 7.3 yards per attempt without the blitz. Also, when blitzed, 16% of his dropbacks produced a play of 20-plus yards. When he was not blitzed, 8%. So he doubled his rate of big plays when teams brought the blitz. And also, perhaps most importantly, showing just how well he handles the blitz, he actually had a lower sack rate versus the blitz than without the blitz. So he wants you to blitz him because he's going to take some shots downfield. And again, with the addition of Devontae Adams, he's probably only becoming more comfortable in that situation now he's got more weapons to deal with now these numbers are obvious clearly Carr handles the blitz well and so teams know this about Carr; they don't blitz him uh last year he only had two games where his blitz rate was over 30 percent in those two games he threw for 386 yards against the dolphins 341 yards against the broncos so teams know not to blitz him teams tend to back off of the blitz a little bit but there are certain teams that are just going to blitz no matter what because that's their identity, and that certainly describes Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. He is stubborn to a fault uh, in his use of the blitz, and he demonstrated that uh, in somewhat embarrassing fashion, I think, last week against Patrick Mahomes, who even more so than Derek Carr, you can't blitz him. It's just you're going to lose every time. He blitzed Patrick Mahomes over 50% of the time last week, it was only the second time in Carr's or in Mahomes' career he's been blitzed at a fifty percent rate or higher. The last guy to do it was Vance Joseph when he was with the Broncos. So only twice in his career has Mahomes been blitzed at a rate of fifty percent or higher. Both against Vance Joseph. Both times Mahomes threw for over three hundred yards with a combined total of nine touchdowns in those two games. Vance Joseph is stubborn. In his use of the blitz, he is going to blitz. He doesn't care, even if Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the field. If he's going to blitz Mahomes, he's going to blitz Carr. So I would expect this to be a game where Carr sees a high blitz rate, likely above that 30% rate um, last year, where we saw him light up the both the Dolphins and the Broncos, easily exceeding 300 yards um, in those games. So based on this expectation, I think we're going to see some big plays out of the Raiders. I think... If this prop is available at 271, 275, like I'm expecting it in that range, he easily goes over. I'd probably bet the over all the way up to maybe 
285, 290. I think there's a really good chance he gets a 300 yards in this game because it, it definitely has the, some shootout potential in this matchup. And just if Joseph is continuing to be stubborn and wants to blitz, I think Carr's just going to eat the defense alive. I mean, this is not a very talented defense. If Carr, see, or if Carr sees some one-on-one matchups out there, he's going to feast on that. So love the over on Jared Carr's passing yards this week. All right, another prop that I might like this week, although I'm a little bit less, I'm saying that a little bit less confidently because I just don't know what the line is going to be. I haven't seen it posted yet. It's the under on Saquon Barkley's rushing yards. Now, last week it was available at 59 and a half, but then he ran for 164 yards and had a couple highlight uh, real plays. So how do the books react to that? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what to expect. It's going to increase for sure how high is it going to increase? I'm hoping it gets to maybe 75 or so. I think that's plausible. And if it does, it gets to 75 or higher. I'm taking the under, um, maybe a little bit of a controversial take. Cause I know, you know, over the weekend, everyone is declaring Saquon Barkley is back. Uh, and I'm pumping the brakes on that. You know, there, there, there were some encouraging signs from that game. Obviously had some breakaway runs demonstrated some speed, uh, was clocked running a little bit faster than he has uh, in recent years. But I'm still questioning his ability to be produced consistently in this offense. And you know, there, there's a couple stats that really jump out to me from that game. He, he, obviously, as I said, he ran for 164 yards, but 101 of those yards came on two carries. So that's a huge chunk on two plays. And those big plays like that, there's just such a huge amount of luck involved. It, 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 they weren't plays that Barkley created by himself. It's not like he was, you know, stuffed in the backfield, ran away from skies, created some holes for himself. These were blown assignments by the Titans defense. And each of those two carries, he picked up 13 and 15 yards before contact. You can never, ever count on that. That that takes a blown assignment by the defense for that to happen. It's It has really nothing to do with Barkley whatsoever. He just ran through some open holes. Now, it takes talent to see the hole and convert it and to run away from guys at the end. There is some talent involved in taking advantage of those opportunities. Barkley has the talent to take advantage of those opportunities when they are presented him. But whether or not those opportunities get prevented is mostly out of his control, and it's probably not going to happen again because it just hasn't happened a lot in recent years for this Giants team. Um. This Panthers defense that they're facing this week, it's also a lot more formidable than the Titans was last week. The Panthers allowed three or more yards before contact on just 20% of opponent rush attempts last year. That was the third lowest rate in the league. And they repeated that in week one with a 21% rate against the Browns. So this is a defense that creates contact at or near the line of scrimmage on a consistent basis. So Barkley is much less likely to have those big gaping holes to run through and to break off those big plays. Now, when Barkley is contacted near the line of scrimmage, he's much less productive. This has been a weakness of him, of his throughout his career. When Barkley was contacted within two yards of the line of scrimmage last season, he gained 10 or more yards in just 1.5% of those carries. That ranked 44th out of 52 running backs. So when he is bottled up a little bit and, you know, having a one or two yards untouched at the line of scrimmage, that's actually a decent hole in the NFL. When he isn't giving these gaping holes, he's not picking up chunks of yardage because he is, uh, he's more of a hesitant runner than most guys are in the league. He tends to dance in the backfield 
Obviously, that's been well documented throughout his career. And so he is he is not very good at creating big plays on when he is bottled up a little bit. So we think he's going to be bottled up more against the Panthers. He has not been consistently breaking off long runs when he is. And so I think his numbers are going to be suppressed a little bit last week. Now, let's go back to Barkley's numbers from last week a little bit. As I said, 101 yards came on two carries. So let's look at what happened in the other with the other 16 carries because that's probably a better gauge of like how much he's improved. Is he consistently outperforming last year or was it just those two blown plays by the Titans defense? So on those other 16 carries, Barkley averaged 3.9 yards per attempt and much more concerning to me, 0.9 yards before contact per attempt. He was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 40 44% of those carries. Last year, he was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage 48% of his carries. So there were two plays where the Titans defense melted down and just let Barkley run free. On his other 16 carries, the numbers were pretty much exactly the same as last year. So against a Carolina run defense, that's pretty consistent, does a pretty good job of creating contact near the line of scrimmage, limiting the free yardage that they give to running backs. I don't think Barkley is going to run all over them. I think that this game probably looks a lot more similar to Barkley's performances last year. So, you know, again, those two long runs, I think that's much more of a reflection of the Titans' poor defense than Barkley and the Giants' run game. So until Barkley proves me wrong, wrong again, I'm on the under on his rushing yards this week. All right, let's jump now to talk about a couple wide receivers I think I'm going to be on the over on Randall Cobb's receptions this week. I haven't quite made a decision on this, but I wanted to I wanted to bring it up because it's something that I'm still kind of mulling over. Uh, Cobb was held to two catches for 14 yards last week. His prop on his receptions was available at 3.5. If it's at 3.5 again this week, that's I'm probably on the fence there. I'm not sure which way I'll go. If it drops to 2.5 at that point, I probably take it. Now this is. I don't really have a ton of stats to back this up. It's more of just anticipating, trying to get inside Aaron Rodgers' head. Obviously, the offense struggled last week. His wide receivers were somewhat inconsistent. Obviously, there was the big drop uh, that Christian Watson had downfield. If Rodgers is feeling a little bit frustrated by that, what is he going to do? Rodgers expects a lot out of his receivers, and so I feel like he's probably – more inclined to go back to a guy that he's really familiar with that he really trusts, and that's Randall Cobb. And obviously Cobb also works out of the slot, sees a lot of targets in the short passing game. That's just a safer route to go anyway. It seems like that could be a pivot that the Packers make this week, that Rodgers just feels more comfortable giving Cobb some extra targets in the short passing game out of the slot. Now, there's an added element to this that makes me feel even more comfortable with that, and that's that Cobb, he led the team in routes from the slot almost more than double anybody else last week. And when he's in the slot, he's going to draw coverage from Bears rookie Kyler Gordon. If you listened to the podcast all last week, you know this is an angle that I like to take, especially early in the season, figure out who's going to consistently be matched up with a rookie because teams love going after rookies and making them prove themselves early in the season. Rookie cornerbacks is definitely a way to gain an advantage both on the field and from a betting perspective. So Knowing that Rodgers might feel more comfortable going to his veteran receiver more this week, knowing that Cobb is likely to draw consistent coverage from a rookie, I think I'm going to take the over on Cobb's receptions. I'm, I'll feel much better about it if it's available at two and a half, 
but I'll probably take it maybe just for a little bit less if it's available at three and a half. All right. Now, another prop that I'm kind of undecided about, but I kind of wanted to sort of talk through it here, let you come to your own conclusion on this. I'm leaning towards taking the over on receiving yards for one of the Broncos wide receivers. Not quite sure who, and I'll talk through this and maybe you can come to a conclusion of your own here. But I noticed that last week the Colts went out of their way to target Derek Stingley, another rookie cornerback, obviously, like we just mentioned. This is a way to gain an advantage. The Colts seem to really try to target Stingley in coverage. Six different players had a target with Stingley in coverage. So that seems very intentional. It would make sense for the Broncos to want to do the same thing in this matchup. Most teams do want to try to take advantage of rookie corners. So Stingley plays on the right side of the Titans defense almost exclusively last week. Now, the Broncos moved their receivers around last week, but their outside wide receivers were almost exclusively Cortland Sutton and KJ Hamler. Jerry Judy mostly lined up in the slot. He did take a couple of reps on the outside, but it was Judy was the primary slot receiver with Sutton Hamler on the outside. So maybe take the over on receiving yards or maybe on receptions for Sutton or Hamler. I think I'm kind of leaning towards wanting to take those bets with KJ Hamler based on the fact that we might get a really low number because he was held without a catch last week and only saw one target. But on the positive side, he was the clear-cut number three wide receiver in the offense. Sutton led the way with 44 routes, Judy with 41. Hamler had 31 routes, and then the next most by a Broncos wide receiver was five by Tyree Cleveland. So there's no competition. Hamler's going to be on the field. He's the third option there. And if he's consistently getting matched up with a rookie cornerback, I think there's a really good chance he sees more targets this week. It just that that's tends to be how teams operate when they know there's a rookie out there. They want to challenge him early. And even though Hamler is obviously not necessarily a preferred target in most situations. I think there's a good chance he sees some extra targets and you know, hopefully this number is really low based on the fact that he was shut out last week. So I'll wait and see what the number is. Um, it was, I forgot to write it down. It was 30 something last week for his receiving yards. If it drops a little bit, if it's available in the twenties, I might take it because that, I mean, it just doesn't take much of a workload uh, for a number three wide receiver in the offense to go over that. So we'll, we'll see what the numbers come out. I'll, I'll take a closer look at the Sutton numbers too. Both of those guys are worth considering because they both should see uh, a decent number of opportunities with Stingley on the other side. All right, let's give out a Monday night football prop now for the Titans-Bills game. Uh, going to go under on another running back total here. I'm going to take the under on Derrick Henry's rushing yards against the Bills. Now, if you listen to the offseason podcast on the running back props, I suggested taking the under on Henry's season total this season. And one of the reasons that I gave out was the expectation that the Titans offensive line was really going to struggle to clear consistent running room for Henry. Last year, he averaged 0.95 yards before contact per attempt. They went 43rd among running backs. So they really struggled to create open lanes for him. And he's coming off an injury as he gets a little bit older, slowing down a little bit. Getting room to run is obviously becoming more and more important to him. He's been extremely productive despite mediocre support from his offensive line but you know every year from now till the end of his career it's becoming it's going to become more critical he is going to slow down because they all do and in week one against the giants we saw this offensive line struggle again 
0.5 yards before contact per attempt for Henry in week one. Much worse, actually, than last year. They really struggled. He was contacted at or behind the line of scrimmage on 57% of his carries. Those are two really, really big red flags because the Giants defense was terrible last year in this area. They ranked dead last, allowing 1.8 yards before contact per attempt to running backs. Now, maybe the Giants have improved. That's certainly possible, but they haven't improved that much. <laughs> this is mostly about the Titans offensive line to allow to only clear 0.5 yards before contact per attempt to let your running back get contacted in the backfield well over 50% of his carries. The offensive line is not doing its job. That's an offensive line stat right there. Um, now they go against against the Bills front seven that is going to be more of a challenge than the Giants were, certainly. Even if the Giants are improved, even if that's now a league average defense, the Bills are a more formidable front seven to run against. They held the Rams to 0.2 yards before contact per attempt in the opener. Now that number is also a little bit inflated by some issues on the Rams offensive line, but you know, the point still stands. The Bills uh, front seven are going to be tough to run against at times this year. Um, and the Titans are not going to clear a whole lot of running room for Derrick Henry against anybody that they face. So I don't think Henry is going to have a lot of room to run in this game. Obviously, they're also underdogs in this game. If the Bills jump out to an early lead, the Titans may have to back off the pass game anyway. I, I think this could be a rough day for Henry. So I'm on the under on Derrick Henry's rushing yards on Monday night against Buffalo. All right, let's get to Thursday night football now. We got Chargers at Chiefs. Um, I've actually got two props that I like in this game. Um, the first one is really just pretty straightforward. I like the over on Mikkel Hardman's longest reception prop. It's available at 17 and a half yards. And, and like I said, this is pretty straightforward based on his usage last week. Uh, Mahomes threw the ball 20 or more yards downfield last week. Two of them were targeted to Hardman at 36 and 37 yards. He's their fastest receiver. He's going to continue to see action down the field. Um, they can't replace Tyreek Hill, but they can sort of piece together replacements by putting guys in different situations that Hill used to excel at. And Hardman's going to see some of those downfield targets because he is such a weapon with his speed. I also like this progress because even last year when sharing the field with Hill, Hardman was already hitting the over at a pretty good rate, uh, including the postseason. Hardman had an 18-yard reception in 11 of 20 games last year. So he was already hitting the over on this number uh, over 50% of the time last season. And he's very likely to see increased usage down the field. Like I said, already had two targets on the deep ball in week one. They weren't complete, but you know that's going to happen sometimes. You're not going to have a huge hit rate on those downfield targets. As long as he's seeing those targets um, and his over-underending longest reception is this low, I'm going to take it because it's it very likely is only going to take one catch for him with the way that he is used in this offense. All right, now one last prop, uh, Thursday night football one. I like the over on Joey Bosa sacks, and this might actually be my favorite prop of the week. Um, take the over at 0.75. So a half sack, unfortunately, is going to get you the under, but I like the odds of him getting uh, a full sack in this game, and I especially like it because the juice is in our favor. Uh, plus 170 is the best number that I've seen. Now, just look at this from like a just approach this logically. Sacks occur when quarterbacks hold the ball longer, right? So quarterbacks who hold the ball longer are going to be sacked more often, increase the odds that we get a sack. Bosa bore that out last year in his production. Last year, Bosa recorded at least one full sack 
in 10 of 13 games in which the quarterback held the ball for an average of 2.6 seconds or more. So if Mahomes holds the ball, Bosa is very likely to get a sack in this game. And Mahomes does average over 2.6 seconds per game holding the ball. He, and he also did that in, but he averaged that over the course of the whole season and in both games against the Chargers last season. Now, Bosa had one sack uh, in two of his last three games against Mahomes. He also had 0.5 sacks in the other. So, unfortunately, one of those games he would have hit the under on this prop, but he did get to Mahomes at least once in each of these games. Now, why is it at plus 70? That is sort of confusing when you look at these numbers, knowing that Mahomes is likely to hold the ball, also knowing that this game has a high total, very possibly a shootout, increased pass attempts, also obviously increased the odds of a sack. That plus 170 number is a little bit surprising. I think it might be an overreaction to the Chiefs' offense in week one. Mahomes was not sacked, and he got rid of the ball in an average of 2.3 seconds. That if, if he gets rid of the ball that fast, you know, we're probably going to lose his bet. He's not going to get sacked if he's consistently getting rid of the ball that quickly. But as I already mentioned, this was against Vance Joseph and the Arizona Cardinals, and they blitzed Mahomes over 50% of the time. If you're blitzed, even if you're a quarterback who likes to hold on to the ball longer, like Mahomes does, if you're, they're consistently blitzing you, you're going to get the ball faster. That's just the natural reaction. That's the response that you take as an offense. So the fact that he sped it up, got rid of the ball quickly, didn't get sacked. I think that was purely a reflection of the way Arizona approached him in that game. He was forced to get rid of the ball quicker. He's still Patrick Mahomes. He still wants to hold the ball, look downfield as long as he can, and get it out, and that leads to sacks. So he's going to get he can he's going to continue to get sacked once or twice a game, I would think, and there's a good chance Bosa um, Bosa gets one of those sacks this week. Last year the Chargers only blitzed Mahomes on 26% of his dropbacks. You know, there's, Mahomes is so good against the blitz. He demonstrated again last week. There's no reason to think that's going to change. He's probably going to still hold the ball. So I, I love this. The fact that it's at plus 170, I think, makes this even more enticing. So that's it for this week's podcast. Had a lot, bunch of player props out there for you. Hopefully we hit on these. I uh, hope you have a fun and profitable week, too, and I'll be back next week.